Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. It is around 10 a.m. in the morning here, Thursday morning in Los Angeles. I'm with Andrew Allen. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Feeling okay? I'm okay. Yeah, it's been a hectic few days. It's been great fun, but um, yeah, very, very hectic. If it does sound a little bit roomy, well, that's because it is. We are sitting in uh, my hotel room. We're sharing a microphone, so it is a little bit uh, less than optimal for recording. But, of course, there was a game, a big game last night uh, in preseason. Arsenal beating Barcelona 5-3. That is basically what we are going to talk about throughout this podcast. I just want to make a quick point about... I want to ask you, actually, about what you've seen out here from the tour, from the events that you've been part of, uh, the fans everywhere. I think uh, there was a fairly even split of Arsenal and Barcelona fans. But if you ask me which bunch of fans were more cohesive or whatever, you'd have to say it was you'd have to say it was Arsenal. Uh, Barcelona fans felt a bit more disparate, whereas there was more. I don't know if you call it a sense of community among the Arsenal fans, but it was—it's been extraordinary since we've been here. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Barcelona's fans in the stadium yesterday, a lot of them were local Hispanic, kind of Los Angeles residents who maybe didn't have as full-on a commitment to the you know the cause as maybe the Arsenal contingent here. I mean, everywhere we've been, the passion of the Arsenal fans has shone through. Um, Obviously, we had the the fan event the other night and just listening to people talking about where they'd come from just for that occasion. Mm. Obviously, then into the match as well. I mean, last night in the queue, we bumped into a guy who'd <coughs> flown in from Calgary, was only in the country for 24 hours just to watch Arsenal. Um, and it's just, there were stories like that everywhere. And it's actually, I mean, it's also just very funny watching you and Elliot getting pulled around, <laughs> people asking for photos everywhere. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of mind-blowing, really. Um, we're so far away, and that really hits home every day when you're sort of down by the beach. You, you're definitely not in England or Ireland. Yeah. Uh, and yet you still again. see football shirts, Arsenal shirts. Um, yeah, it's been it's just been really amazing. The I suppose we should talk about the stadium, because yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in my life, and I've been in many stadiums. Uh, I've been in good stadiums and bad stadiums. But... People will have seen, I'm sure, pictures of SoFi Stadium. They'll have seen videos of SoFi Stadium. And I don't think I've seen one that quite does it justice in the sense uh, of scale that it has, uh, the views that it has from the seats. We were on the fifth tier, and yet somehow we were below street level. 
Yeah. And it was a long way down to the pitch. And there was a long way up to the, to the seats at the top. There's this incredible screen that you that wraps around the stadium. So depending on where you are, you're either watching the, the outside of the screen or the inside of the screen because it's projecting the same stuff to you. The sound, it, it's like something from the future. And I know that probably sounds a bit obvious when someone spends five and a half billion or six billion dollars or whatever it costs to to build this thing but i i'm absolutely gobsmacked by by that stadium and and what it is and um just how i mean you go through it and there's you think oh i'm in a kind of luxury shopping mall here and then you you go out and we'll talk about the pitch in a minute but you go out and you see the green grass and and all the people in there it's just mind-blowing yeah, I mean, on the on the approach to the stadium, it's just surrounded by huge swathes of car parks. So you get this kind of long walk up to it, and the closer you get, the more futuristic it it looks and feels. And it, I, I imagine, it's probably quite similar to being on like the Apple campus or something like that. You know, it it feels like it's been created by a tech company rather than a sports business. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been dug into the ground. So you don't get a sense of the scale outside, even though the building is very unique and, um, you know, very eye-catching. It's, you know, it's all sweeping and angular and curves and stuff. It's, it's, it's really very striking. But as you say, getting in, you're, you're faced with almost like a spaghetti junction of elevators taking people in all sorts of different directions. Yeah. The Emirates is, is lovely, but when you look at the materials that have been used and the detail that's gone into just everything, you know, even the walls you could see were kind of carefully designed using a kind of interesting pattern. And <clears throat> the materials everywhere, I mean, it was just it was just mind-blowing. And um, obviously the screens when you get in just hit you right in the face. And there's so much information and there's so much noise. It was non-stop. I mean... I think I had a chat with Tim at half time and he's like there's not been a moment silence in yeah, the entire true. time you know at Arsenal Tim <laughs> says he has a, a sort of routine where he obviously makes himself you know goes off for a quiet moment of reflection while he's in the gents and stuff and and there's you know people just shuffle around in the Emirates you know it can be quite quiet at half time this is just ongoing it's just a full on party um and it I I mean look it, if you can get there Go and go and experience it because it really is nothing like I've ever experienced before. So the issue with the pitch, which was obvious, and it stood out, I think, a bit more because everything else is so well appointed. Yeah, everything is just first class, uh, which I'm sure will be reflected in the uh, leaky roof repairs at Emirates <laughs> Stadium in the uh, <laughs> in the months to come. But it stood out. Uh, the fact that the pitch was not good because like everything was perfect, 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 clean lines. And we got in and we looked at the pitch and, you know, you couldn't help but be worried by it because it had been laid the day before and whatever was supposed to happen overnight didn't happen or something that shouldn't have happened overnight happened. I don't know what exactly it was, but you could very clearly see the seams of the rolls of turf, particularly down the flanks. There were sections in the middle that looked, I don't know, looked like different grass, whatever it might be. The Arsenal team, I think, were out there um, doing running repairs on the pitch for 
right up until kickoff, you could see them like trying to bounce the ball in certain ways. When the the teams eventually came out to to warm up, there was a moment I was watching the goalkeeping coach. He was rolling, just rolling a pass across the uh, the lines of the turf to Carl Hine. And I've never seen a ball bobble like that. It was going literally all over the place. It was yeah. it was a bit of a mess. Yeah, and there was definitely a sense of nervousness amongst those who were aware that the pitch was a bit of an issue. I don't know that 90% of the fans who were filtering in had paid that much attention or considered it an issue because they wouldn't really recognise the Emirates and what it is as a manicured lawn and carefully curated and all the rest of it. There, it just seemed like a lot of people were just going about their, you know, you know, they were just enjoying the stadium for what it was. Um, but th- yeah, I sensed nervousness, and when you spotted pretty much the entire Arsenal executive team, yes, pitch down side. on the pitch, looking at it, heads down. Josh was there, Vinay was there, Stan was there, Stan was there, um, and yeah, you sensed that there was an issue, and obviously then they 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 pushed the kickoff back by half an hour 40 minutes the, number, mm. the players didn't come out to, to warm up for quite a while and you were starting to think oh god what you know what's going to happen here because Barcelona have obviously had one friendly cancelled this week um, mm. because of the you know the lasagna gate that they've experienced and I mean this game was never going to be called off because it just couldn't could it I mean like no. you know Arsenal even if Mikel Arteta didn't want to risk his players didn't have any other players to play and you can't organise a friendly like this and not go ahead. So they, you know, they, they, they got it together. I mean, to be fair, when, when the game started, you didn't notice it quite as much. I think that the mm. repairs that they did and the watering they did, because they brought on serious um, uh, hoses, pipes, yeah, just to try and get a bit of uh, moisture onto the grass. Um, they, it, it, it did enough. It did enough to kind of ensure the quality of the game wasn't, you know, awful yeah that's true I mean the game itself was quite fun and entertaining um, but you know in the back of my mind I was I was a little bit worried that we were going to see an injury caused by the pitch yeah you know that somebody might plant their foot between a a, a roll of turf and, and do something bad thankfully that didn't happen I mean I do have to say we potentially could have picked up a couple of injuries early on, not from the pitch, but from a couple of really, really bad tackles by the Barcelona number four, Arujo. Uh, yes, I think. I mean, true. I saw a video this morning. I saw the one on Kai Havertz. My sense of those tackles was that the the one on Gabriel Jesus was a lot worse. I've seen a video of it this morning. I don't know if you've seen it. No. But he basically goes in at knee height and does the the scissors thing. Mm. And it was, I, I think it did set the tone for what was to come. I don't think it was a particularly dirty match, but it was a bit niggly. It was a bit fiery. I think Arsenal had to stand up to some pretty rough treatment from Barcelona. So uh, what, what do you reckon on how that then played out after the game in the sense that uh, Mikel Arteta was asked, I think Xavi, the Barcelona manager, was unhappy with some of the um, some of the physicality in the game, and Mikel Arteta said, "Yeah, maybe it you know went a little bit too far for a friendly, but you're out there at seventy thousand people, you know the game starts." But if Arsenal got stuck into Barcelona a little bit, it was because they got stuck into first. They, I mean, they set the tone. I mean, it was maybe what three four minutes on the yeah. clock when that first challenge went in, and there was an audible. Oh, and obviously the ref—I mean, the referee did not have a handle on the game no. at all, and that no. was very, very obvious. 
um, from the get-go. This sort of a sort of unwillingness to start booking people because oh, it's a friendly game. But then he would start throwing cards out here, there, and everywhere for for, for weirder um, infractions. Um, I mean, what I was pleased about was that once Barcelona had set the tone, that we did actually give it back to them. You know, mm. um, I think if there were accusations that Arsenal were on the wrong end of a bit of physicality from Manchester United the other day, they obviously knew that they needed to go toe-to-toe this time to get the result. And and they did. Um, you know, they uh, they stuck up for each other. And I think there was some, there was some aggression there, but it was relatively controlled. Um, but yeah, they certainly didn't mind a few sort of shoving matches if challenges went over the top. And- no, I mean when, when you know when there, I think there was a bit of a to do, wasn't there, after the tackle on Jesus, mm. uh, or maybe it was the one on Havertz. I can't quite remember, but you know the Arsenal players were there. There's a bit of pushing and shoving. I like that. I like to see the, yeah. the lads stick up for each other and, and everything else. But you know, it's a bit much for Xavi to to complain about you know the game being too physical or maybe you know some of the challenges when his team went at it first. I mean, that guy was like a. You, you ever see a guy? I'm you know you've watched football a long time. You can see when a guy is absolutely fired up yeah. and wants to get stuck in and wants to sort of Im- maybe impose himself on the game. So if you're a central defender, you know you want to win your first tackle. You want to crunch a guy, but. Uh, yeah, in a friendly and that early in a friendly, um, yeah, it could have been worse for a couple of the Arsenal players. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, uh, as much as anything, I think because the pitch was so bad, the idea that anyone would take it upon themselves to charge around and throw themselves about like that kind of was even more shocking because you could easily do damage to yourself. You know, yeah. you catch your studs in the turf badly and, and you, you know, you, you cause yourself an injury. So, yeah, it was, um, I mean, it, look. In some respects, obviously, it set the game up with that, you know, that nice little bit of fieriness that kind of keeps a tempo going, mm. right? And I think, yeah, we needed that. I enjoyed the game all the more for it. But, yeah, aside from the nerves. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, you know, as far as we know, we've emerged from this without any uh, without any problems, without any real injuries. Um, I mean, it was mad, wasn't it, as well, that the, the Arsenal players got booked. Who got booked? I think Trossard got Trossard booked got- for maybe kind of stopping the keeper from taking yeah that's right yeah he sort of nipped him behind him and tried to get it and then Ben White got booked for nothing as far as I'm aware Havertz got a booking for for pulling a guy back which I guess is fair enough but I don't know how you square the the yellow card for Havertz without a yellow card for the other guy and I think he did I think he he did get booked for the one on Jesus didn't he because he picked the ball up and booted it away as well <laughs> big fucking lumbering oaf of a cunt um, um, yeah I mean it, it, the referee just I mean, we kept saying to each yeah, other he, he, didn't, he didn't have a grip on it and this was a game that stopped as well for um, a drinks break halfway through the half, but mm. the whistle went bang on 45 minutes. So he seemed very kind of keen to to to, to do the basics badly, as it yeah. were. I wonder if that was an edict, though. You know, maybe because of the pitch. Maybe let's, you know, yeah. do 45 and 45. We don't need to do injury time. Let's minimise the amount of time that these players have to be on that pitch. Um, well, let's talk about the game then. It was fun, I think. Maybe from an Arsenal perspective, there might be worries about some of the goals that we conceded. And when you concede three goals, you know you've got to you've got to look at that a little bit. But they all came from moments when I think we we could possibly have done better. Martin Odegaard lost the ball in midfield. Barcelona broke and kind of got a, a run of the the break after Ramsdale had made a, a save and Lewandowski 
uh, put them one nil up. I mean, not brilliant from us. It was. It felt soft. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first time they'd kind of charged forward, and immediately once the ball was played into a, a dangerous area, they looked like they had the men to to, yeah. to finish it off. And um, yeah, Lewandowski obviously we know is a, a clinical finisher and isn't going to miss those types of things. I think Ramsdale was frustrated maybe that his initial save which was decent enough had fallen back into a dangerous mm. area as a keeper you never really want to be palming the ball back into the six yard box like that so he I don't think had his uh, best evening Aaron um, I mean obviously it was difficult with the pitch when the ball was played back to him a couple of the times he just wanted to shank it clear and I think that was fair enough but there was you know that obviously that first goal I'm not blaming him for that necessarily but the second one again a bit weird and soft I mean uh a deflected free kick that yeah. he seemed to be complaining about not having enough time to set up. But then when you look at the replay, he seemed to be in the position that he wanted to be in. Um, he did go charging up the field. I thought at first he was maybe uh, talking to Odegaard, but in the stadium we could see he, you know, he came out of his goal. He was complaining, you know, arms out, and um, he went straight to the referee to have a word with the referee. So. He certainly seemed to think there was something up with uh, the, the referee giving the, uh, the Barcelona player the chance to was a Rafinha um, yep. chance to take the free kick when he wasn't ready. I, I, you know, I haven't watched the full replay back, so I can't see. But from what I could see on the big screen, it did look like he was moving. Um, was he moving back behind his wall though maybe just to try and set them he, again? I think that yeah, could have been what it, it was. Like he was moving in one direction, and then obviously once the deflection came off Erdegaard changing direction mm. and that extra whip on the ball that it seemed to pick up yeah he didn't really stand a chance and it was really very very soft I mean at that point Barcelona had done nothing you know I really felt that Arsenal were controlling the tempo controlling the ball but mm. you know I mean obviously we, we did get a goal but they were they were very much um, yeah on the back foot Barcelona we did get a goal, Bakayo Saka, I think, taking advantage of some bad defending, bad defending from Barcelona. And, and look, you're right. I think Arsenal, throughout this game, actually, were the better team by some distance. I know Barcelona maybe are a little behind in their preparation, so they made a lot of changes at halftime. We stuck with more or less the uh, the same team. I think there was one change at halftime. Um, but we did play well. And, you know, having watched the game in New York last week this was significantly better in terms of performance and against the team you know that we know are very technical um, that did try and press sometimes they did try and press high sometimes but I thought we controlled it very well Saka got the goal one thing we did notice a bit in the in the stadium was the movement of Kai Havertz when we have the ball out on the right-hand side mm. and making runs towards the back post, which of course is where he got uh, where he got the goal from, but that was a, a bit of a recurring theme in terms of you know where he was popping up, what he was doing, and and I'm guessing what he is being instructed slash taught to do by Mikel Arteta, you know, to fill the shoes of you know a big player who was uh, very effective in that role last season. Yeah, and obviously when you when you see the the goal that he scores, Saka's very very deliberately making his way to the byline to try and dink in across to yeah. that back post area. Um, I know it was Erdegaard who had the first header before it fell straight to to Havertz to tap in, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's um, he's taking up interesting positions. Uh, you know, he looked a lot more, I thought, comfortable on the ball uh, yesterday. There was a certain calmness about him 
which given there were some big challenges going around was was good to see um he's um you know he, he watching him kind of on the more defensive side of things i thought he got about the pitch quite well yesterday mm-hmm. there were a couple of challenges that i think you know having got there granite jacka might have won whereas he maybe didn't quite get the strong footing but you can see the energy's there and he's trying to you know do that to the best of his ability um I thought there was just generally quite a calmness about Arsenal with Thomas Partey at the base of the midfield. Like a, there was a familiarity there, yeah. you know, the, the the combinations and the way that we played the ball out from the back, from the defenders and stuff. Um, yeah, his presence was, was good. I mean, he really actually played very well in that first half. I think so. I think so. I think behind Trossard, he was probably our best player on the night. Yeah. Uh it was noticeable how confident his teammates felt in giving him the ball in pretty tight situations at times. There were mm. some passes that were really, really fizzed into him, um, and, and he dealt with it all uh, really very well, you know. And I think when you think about the season ahead, and you think about what we might want to achieve, and the difficulties of that, both in the Premier League, maybe the Champions League, and of course the the two cup competitions. When you think of an Arsenal squad with the kind of depth that we have in midfield with Partey, with Rice, with Jorginho, with even Elneny, um, you know, that is that feels like the kind of midfield lineup you need to be able to cope with the rigours of a season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there'll be it'll be interesting to see if Partey and, and Rice and... Uh, get on the pitch at the same time actually I think mm. there's a really interesting option there in certain games especially if you want to try and close things out um, what did you make of Timber playing at uh, left back I thought that was really interesting because he obviously had Kieran Tierney on the bench he also had Jakub Kivior who's played there he also had Takahiro Tamiyasu who uh, played there but he chose Timber and I think the reason he chose Timber is because he wants minutes in his legs going into the new season. I was extremely impressed oh, by him. Yeah. Extremely impressed. He just looks so comfortable on the ball. He's strong in the tackle. He's really strong. He's really, like at one point he fucking, I think it was Rafinha again, where he won the ball and left him in a heap on the turf. Um, you know, sort of gave him the pat, there you go, yeah. up you get. Um but, you know, got forward well. There were a couple of little shimmies, a couple of little forward runs. You know, this guy's the centre half who can play at right back, mm. who was exceptionally good last night playing at left back. So without wanting to overhype him, it does feel like we've got, uh, you know, potentially a bit of a, a, a gem here. Uh, and I do think that his involvement in this game is is because Arteta wants him Ready. fit and ready yeah. whether that's for the right for the left for the middle who knows where it might be but that felt a very deliberate selection yeah I mean I think in, in, he's he's quite direct when he wants to be but he's also calm and I just think there's a controlled aggression there like he doesn't look like a hothead who's going to go and get himself into trouble he just you know backs himself physically when he goes into a challenge and um yeah, I mean, he looks like a, a real player. It's going to be just really interesting to see where he ends up and if he ends up in a settled position or if we're just going to kind of move him about like, you know, the queen on the, uh, well, the queen that Alexander Zinchenko is, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, based on the limited uh, amount of 
playing time I've seen from him, I you know, I, I think he could play further forward. I think he could play in midfield easily. I'm not sure that's where he is going to play, but um yeah, really, really impressive. Really impressive. Um let's we talked about the Havertz goal. I suppose we do have to talk about Leandro Trossard. And yeah. Well, there was also the penalty we missed. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that, actually. I'm trying to uh, get rid of it from my mind. Yeah, uh, obvious handball uh, by the Oaf, I think it was as well. Um, Bakayo Saka stepped up. We we had a bit of a discussion, you know, and have had a bit of a, a discussion here um, over the last couple of days with Elliot and Tim just sort of walking around, obviously talking about football, and we talked about it a bit last night with regards to who are penalty taker is going to be for this season ahead and uh, you know I'm not telling tales out of school here but maybe a couple of uh, you guys have got some doubts over Bakayo Saka um, we do have maybe a bit of an issue because you know our centre forward our starting centre forward Gabriel Jesus does not have a very good no. or a very convincing record when it comes to taking penalties but uh, you know my my gut feeling is that it will continue to be Saka for a while and I don't think it's a case that he's taking penalties because people felt sorry for him because he missed that one in the Euros. You know, Mikel Arteta is a very exacting coach, and I think there will be uh, training ground knowledge put into this that, you know, you basically, regardless of where the player plays, whether he's a right back, a center half, a midfielder, a, a striker, winger, whatever it is, your, your best penalty taker takes your penalties. So... There may be an issue in that Bakayo Saka, if he is our best penalty taker, uh, you know, who's a regular starter, because I think you could make a case for mm. someone like Jorginho, obviously. Um, I think he's going to stick with them, but it wasn't a convincing penalty. I, I said night. to you just before he stepped, I said, I've got absolutely no doubts he's going to score this. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then he completely shanked it wide. Um, I mean, obviously, he missed against West Ham last season. Uh, I can't remember. Was he on the pitch when the penalty shootout took place the other day no. against United, right? No, so he, he didn't wasn't. have that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of misses there alongside the, the one for England, famously. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he just needs to he needs to get one in the back of the net soon to, yeah. to kind of write this off. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you'd say if Jorginho's on the pitch, he's, he's going to be a, a good shout for a for, for a penalty, but I don't. I don't know that he's going to be on the pitch in key moments that often. So, um, you know, yeah, we, we've got a decision to make there. Uh, we've got to win some penalties first. Yeah, you know, that's that's the important. We've got to get some. Yeah, yeah. Get, get some awarded to us. Uh, Trossard, then. Yeah. Just an excellent performance. Just really good. Excellent goals. You know, the finishing was the left-footed one. The first one. Yeah. I mean. I think what, one thing we should talk about with that goal is the role of Gabriel Jesus in challenging for the aerial ball. Mm -hmm. And he didn't win it, but it makes life difficult for for the opposition to uh, to get the ball clear. It comes to Trossard, left-footed shot, drills it into the bottom corner through a sea of legs. Uh, I mean, he's just so smart. He's such a smart player, such an intelligent player. You can see why Arteta likes him. His touch is good, two-footed, um, and that was a that was a great finish. I think people underestimate him. I think opponents underestimate him because he's not a flashy player. But when you see him, he is very efficient on the ball. He always makes it count. He's so 
tenacious, you know, and, and can turn in a in a small space. Uh, the finish, the first finish last night was he did not have much space to work with. Um, you know, he uh, from a from a, a tightish angle with three or four players in front of him managed to ping one right through the legs and find the corner. Yeah, um, and that quality. I mean, he didn't actually score that many goals for us, did he, last season? He had the one disallowed at Leicester and he scored against at the back post from across, but it was mostly mm. the assists that he, he generated. So if we can get more goals out of him, which he was obviously doing for, for, um, for Brighton in the first half of the season, that will be a massive, massive boon for us. Um, he's... I mean, he's not Mihailo Mudrik. He's not a hundred million pound player, but that twenty six million pounds that we paid for him is starting to look like a steal, even at his age. Yeah, I'm just generally really impressed by him. Second goal, I think, is really good as well, mm. uh, because Tierney really whacks that ball into him, and he has to adjust his feet very, very quickly to to apply the finish. Um, instinctive, finish. instinctive, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. for sure. And I do think it was a. A deliberate pass from Tierney because you can see in the replays he's looking up, he's looking for the movement, and actually the only way Tierney can get the ball to Trossard in that situation is by really fizzing it yeah. in very hard. So to be able to sort of on the run come onto that ball and then knock it into the bottom corner, like really, really good. Yeah, um, it was funny. I watching the replay. Tierney doesn't initially go to celebrate and then he suddenly realises and he just suddenly looks so happy that he's sort of <laughs> grabbed an assist and he's just giving it some and, um, yeah I was really pleased for him because again you know Tierney's come on and he's done well there mm. you know he's made a decisive uh, you know impact coming off the bench um, yeah and look if we can if, if Trossard can start to build more of those kind of relationships on the pitch with whoever it is who's going to be behind him because uh, I'm starting to think more and more that Trossard, could, you know, could be a regular starter this season, even with Martinelli, you know, challenging there. Um, if he keeps doing what he's doing there, you know, and mm. we know we have to rotate more next season. We know we have to be cleverer about the minutes we give to people. We know we have to take some risks on that front, even though we want to try and build up momentum with the best players early on. I mean, you know, we saw Pep Guardiola last season basically not playing Kevin De Bruyne in the first, you know, 15 games of the season he really limited the number of minutes he had but he came on really strong at the end and I think given we've had challenges the last two seasons mm -hmm. about how strongly we finish using maybe Trossard to give Martinelli a bit of a break but knowing you've got two quality players there is just that's that's great I have a feeling we're we're going to see Trossard as the kind of nine a bit more as yeah. well because I you know I look at what else we've got there um and I do worry a little bit that it's not quite what we need. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, and I'm not talking about him specifically, but behind that, I don't have as much faith in the options we have there. I think when you do have Martinelli, when you do have Smith Rowe coming back as well, uh, and interesting to see him again in the in the left eight role, mm. uh, who, who looked good. I think he looked good yeah. and zippy and, and aware. Uh, but I just wonder if Trossard might get minutes as, as the nine because, you know, you you can see he can finish. He can get himself in those positions. Um, he's good at linking play. And I think the experience is a factor as well in that, you know, Arteta knows this team needs to go to not, a, not a, uh, another level or the next level, but... To produce on a consistent basis, you're going to need players who are fully aware of how to do that. And I think Trossard really fits that bill, for example, more than Eddie. 
Yeah. And we don't quite know what's going to happen with Flo Balogun. So I think the alter the alternate thing with Martinelli and Trossard on the left, yeah, can happen potentially. But it would also not surprise me to see him more centrally. Yeah, and we've got I guess in Havertz we've got a we've got a target man if we did need to go higher, mm. even though, you know, if Trossard was playing that role up top because Trossard's not going to win your headers like Gabriel Jesus wins your headers, but if you need to win some headers and you've got a big guy on the pitch in Havertz, then you can kind of move things around a little bit. So, yeah, I think that's definitely an option. I mean, the, the exciting thing is now you look around almost everywhere on the pitch and you think, we've got two or three guys who can do most of those roles and it's almost great not knowing who mm. that's going to be because that means the, op- the, op- the opposition doesn't know either. Yeah. And, um, you know, Arteta keeps talking about us being more unpredictable. Well... You know, if the if the opponents don't know who your first choice eleven is going to be on any given day, that is unpredictable for a start. Well, yeah, which is not something we've had because you no. could more or less pick the Arsenal team for the last couple of seasons, and, and understandably so. But you know, those options will allow him to uh, apply more variety to his team selections. Hopefully, uh, I mentioned Smith Rowe. Mm. Some quick thoughts from you on him. I mean, he looks lean. He looks yeah. fit. He looks sharp. Um, got involved quite well a couple of times. Yeah, I, I, I think towards the end of last season and the rare moments he did come on, his body language looked, you know, he looked deflated, a bit sad, not quite, you know, sure of what he was trying to achieve and maybe not wholly confident in his body at the time, but he really does look... He looks a bit slimmer, I think. I think he's lost a bit of weight. Um, I think the Euros with the under-21s did him a huge... Uh, boost really really he's come back and he's he's talking with a bit more fight I think mm. you know he doesn't sound apologetic about his circumstances he keeps talking about this competition for the places and that he wants to, to, to be one of the guys on the team sheet um, yeah I, I, th- I think we've got something good there I think we'll just we're going to manage him a little bit you know he'll get those minutes but I just what he needs is a spark you know like an early season goal or something that really gets yeah. him back in the groove if we can get that then, yeah, again, we've got a player on our hands because it's so easy to forget how important he was a couple of years ago. I mean, it's football moves really quickly and so much has happened at Arsenal and so many players have come in that, you know, it's almost easy to go, well, I like the new shiny thing, but yeah. he really was very, very good and he still can be very, very good. And, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really rooting for him, I have to say. We'll talk about the final goal in a second, but it was 4 2 um then it was 4-3, Rob holding a come on to the pitch. Uh, Arteta made some defensive changes. And I think he actually just slipped on that bad pitch yeah. and was fairly ruthlessly punished for it. He, he looked absolutely... Crestfallen, I think. Yeah. Crestfallen is the great word. I was going to yeah. use heartbroken, but I think that might be uh, over-egging the pudding a little bit. Yeah. But he looked crestfallen. You know, the players around and were trying to G him up and, you know... Come on, don't worry about it. But like, there was a moment he just kind of looked to the heavens and was like, "Fuck." Yeah, you I mean, know? he's a <clears throat> he's a great lover of everything American, right? You know, his country music, and I think he's really loved being in the country for the last couple of weeks. And to get on and have a couple of minutes in that stadium, in that environment, and for it to kind of basically go a bit tits up for him, mm. he didn't hang around at the end of the game. He kind of went straight down the tunnel. Um, and I felt really sad for him because you know we don't know that he, how many games he's got left for Arsenal. Um, but it, it, it's just one of those things that just looks some players just look a bit unlucky as their careers at Arsenal are coming to an end. And yeah. you know, I 
I really like him. I mean, he's obviously such a big personality in the dressing room, and it's just unfortunate. I mean, that was why the other players were so desperate to kind of give him the, you know, chin up, boy. Yeah, gee him up a little bit. Uh, yeah, it is. It was just a bit unfortunate. I think the pitch was mm. the problem, and uh, Barcelona got the goal. And like you say, we, we don't quite know what's going to happen with with Rob Holding. I suspect, you know, he'll depart. He hasn't really been involved much during pre-season, hasn't played. The pecking order has, has obviously changed now with the arrival of Timber and Saliba's fit again. Tommy Asu's there. Ben White's there. You know, he's if he stays... He's just not going to play any minutes and if everyone's fit. Rob Holding's a good player or a better player when he plays football. Like you know, he when, once he gets a bit of rhythm, mm-hmm. he actually looks very, very competent. And I remember, you know, that there was that period just before he did his ACL when he was playing under Emery, when I genuinely thought he had a chance of getting into the England squad. Um, but he needs to play. And when you don't play and you come on and something like that happens, it only further knocks your confidence. Yeah, he needs to play. So it's up to him, really, I guess. He could sit around at Arsenal for the year. I mean, it's a great place to be at the moment. There's a great vibe. He's an important dressing room voice. But if he wants to play football and enjoy the football side of things, he may have to look elsewhere. Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. Um, Fabio Vieira was criticised quite roundly as I saw on Twitter for missing a penalty a meaningless penalty in a meaningless penalty shootout but I think it's reflective of you know some doubts that people have about him uh, and his ability to to contribute to this team in the way that they had hoped when he signed last year I do think it's interesting that Arteta gives him continues to give him minutes it suggests to me that Arteta thinks that there is a good player in there that can be useful Mm. and can contribute to Arsenal this season and in the seasons ahead. So it was nice to see him come on. Actually, two things. Before we talk about the goal, Bukayo Saka got taken out in about the 80th minute there or thereabouts and he was in a heap at the other end. And Fabio Vieira (laughs) uh, went in on the guy who did it. Yeah. stuck up for him and Fabio Vieira is what five foot seven and about a hundred pounds soaking wet but I like that I like that little bit of fight from yeah. him I like that he demonstrated a sort of willingness to to get stuck in and you're not going to convince me that you know he's going to be the most physical player ever but that's just a little moment I just wonder about little moments like that in terms of how they can potentially not change people's or fans perception of of a player but of the kind of character somebody might be yeah yeah I think he's quite popular in the dressing room and I think as his English improves um he's sort of settling a little bit more uh again it's it's about minutes in the tank isn't it and um you're going to get more if you do what you do what he did last night which is come off the bench and score a real beauty of a goal um yeah I mean it was a sort of reminder of the quality that he has he's you know, when we, when we signed him, you looked at those YouTube montages and, and there was quite a few of those types of goals from distance, you know, where he's quite ruthless and backed himself to, to go for it. And, I mean, scoring a, a screamer against Barcelona is not not bad thing for your, for your CV. So hopefully he takes good confidence from that. Um, I'm still, yeah, I, I'll be... He's another one where you're kind of like, I just I just don't know how many minutes he'll he'll necessarily get, but if he can do that off the bench that's that's great stuff yeah um, I think 
you know, last year he played a lot of his football in the Europa League, and when he had regular games in the Europa League, he looked better. When he was taken out of the team in the second half of the season and he was asked to play 10, 15 minutes, not so much. Mm. Um, Interesting that he's he's been playing mostly in the Odegaard position, yeah. I think, during this preseason. Last season he started a couple of games ahead of Granit Xhaka, which didn't always work out, but... No. Uh, it, it does feel like now if Smith Rowe is is kind of that let's say uh, the backup or the competition for the left eight it feels like Vieira is right now certainly the, the backup competition for the Odegaard position and of course he has played a little bit on the right uh, ahead of not ahead of but where Bakayo Saka plays I think the goal will do him a lot of good I know it's just a preseason friendly but I think after missing the penalty in New York and again if you want to talk about someone looking crestfallen yeah, yeah, yeah. he looked absolutely crestfallen uh, in New York but that goal will do him a lot of good yeah yeah I think it will just also shut up some portion of the fan base that decide that silly things like missing a penalty are the be all and end all of a player and um, yeah, it'll it'll do him good, and it was just also just a nice way to sort of stick the knife into Barcelona again, who for a moment there thought they might, yeah, you know, snatch a draw because just after it went four three, there was an announcement saying it would go to a penalty <laughs> shootout if it, if there was another goal, as if like you know the the stadium itself was willing that on, and then straight up the other end, bang, goal five three. Thank you very much. Game over. Yeah, Vieira's like fuck that. I don't, <laughs> I'm I don't not want, having another penalty. I don't <laughs> want another penalty. I don't want to be on this pitch anymore either. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Look, I think Arsenal were were more than worthy of the win, um, and. You know, after a disappointing result in in uh, New York, New Jersey, I should say. Apologies to all the people of New Jersey. Um, you know, after that disappointing performance, not just the result, the performance. Oh. Even if there are still some concerns about the goals we conceded, the fact that we were much more in control, that there was a there was real cohesion to the way we played, um, and the fact that we did it on that like poxy pitch as well. Uh, I think it does augur well for the way the preparations are going and the way that they're uh, developing and the way preseason is 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 getting us ready for for what's still to come. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm right in saying that the players went straight to the airport. Yeah. after the game, which yeah. is only you know a few minutes away, which is you know an unusual thing in Los Angeles to be able to say something's not well, that I mean, far good, away. Good luck to them getting out of that stadium oh. and getting to the airport because you know it's. Basically, you come out into a. I mean, for all the the incredible uh, facilities that are there within that stadium, it's basically a traffic jam. Yeah, there's, a, out. there's like, no infrastructure. You know, there's no public transport network that people kind of filter onto. Everyone who's rocked up in cars is trying to get away from the stadium by car or by taxi. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a. Yeah. There's not much around either. Like no. I wouldn't see. I think I saw a Hawaiian barbecue place and um, uh, Los Boyos Hermanos was there. I think as well. Yep. It looked like it anyway. Uh, that kind of thing. But <laughs> you know, there's not. It's not like where you can just go. You know, wait out the crowds, have a beer or two somewhere. You're just sort of battling through uh, masses of people in traffic so that element of it was was not great so I do wonder what, what time they got to the airport it's not far from the airport but like unless there's a sort of secret underground tunnel yeah. that stands built I mean, uh, to I'd, get the players away <laughs> I imagine they'll actually be they should be landing any time now right I mean if they they probably flew out around about one o'clock in the morning it's an 11 hour flight 
Um, oh god, the time! Yeah. My brain is scrambled with time. So they need a couple of days off, I think, and then obviously there's focus on Monaco and the Emirates Cup, and then straight into the Community Shield. Yeah, and then there we go. The season starts. I, you know, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if there was some kind of uh, behind closed door fixture between the Community Shield and the yeah. final game, of this, uh, the first game of the season. You know, just for a few of the players who haven't played that much probably get Watford or Brentford down you know it's always those two yeah um but by and large I think it's it's been it's been positive I mean it was always a bit of a risk when you set up you know big fixtures like this that you might lose and damage confidence um and As, yeah I spoke to I mean I had a, was lucky enough to be able to speak to Edu briefly at the um the fan event the other night and I did ask him about the caliber of opposition that you face in pre-season and whether you as a player you know would you prefer to play a league one team or local team or face someone like Manchester United or Barcelona and what he said was obviously there's a, a sort of gradient in terms of your pre-season preparation but as a player you really want to play against these teams and there is that balance between getting the right result and building confidence but also uh, exerting the players at a, a technical level and a, a physical level that will be then beneficial for the season ahead, and and he seemed to think that like these are the these are the kind of games, even if they're dressed up as, the, you know, the Champions Tour or whatever it is under what branding, these are really useful for you as a player as you're getting ready for a new season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the days of Arsenal playing Austrian third division teams yeah. are, are well and truly gone now. Um, there's, there's too much money to be made from travelling the globe and, and playing big hitting matches in, in glamorous venues all over so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see where we go next year obviously we've done a couple of trips to the States um, it feels like as uh, Mikhail Arteta said afterwards he was like it really starting to feel like home here now we've seen the the, the way the fan base has grown over the last few years um, so maybe they'll they'll kind of look to cultivate mm. some other part of the world next year. We'll see. Um, it's a big wide world out there. Um, sure is. But yeah, Americans love buying merch, so yeah. <laughs> you can see why he'd come back here again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, it is noticeably. I don't know if noticeably different from the last time I was here in 2019, but we played in a much smaller venue. We played in the LA Galaxy Stadium uh, against Bayern Munich. And look, everybody I met there was super passionate and enthusiastic about the team. But I think the scale of it and the, and the the development of the fan base in this part of the world is um, you can see that we've uh, we've developed and grown the fan base here. And like you know, people coming from all over uh, the event the other night, they're from all uh, along the west coast, coming up and down, uh, and from further afield as well. Um, yeah, it's been uh, genuinely been amazing to be out here, um, but we'll see where they go next next summer. How far they have to travel? How much jet lag people have to how cope with? How much jet lag? Exactly. <laughs> we'll see. Right. Well, look, I think we probably need some coffee and breakfast. Do I we? definitely need a coffee. Yeah, definitely need coffee and a breakfast. 
just a final word to anybody that I met out here and I met so many people just thank you for being so wonderfully nice and kind and good people um, so restores your faith in humanity a little bit um, it, uh, just just listening to the stories of people and how they support the club how they came to the club how often they listen to the podcast or sure. read the blog or you know read the news site it's yeah you just completely forget that there's this audience out there i mean sometimes you, you know we sit here and we're just having a chat about arsenal we're not necessarily thinking about all the people out there but when you meet people and you get to grips with it it really is mind-blowing that's what i describe this trip as just the whole thing's been mind-blowing for me all right well look that's good mind-blowing is good um we are going to go get some coffee. We're going to go uh, get a little bit of breakfast, I think. Um, we will have an Arscast Extra for you on Monday. I get back to Ireland on Saturday. So hopefully I'm in good shape to do uh, an Arscast Extra on Monday if the jet lag isn't too bad. Again, look, just thank you to everyone I met out here. Um, if I didn't get a chance to meet you this time, hopefully we can do it again another time. To all the Arsenal fans, I hope you enjoyed the, the tour, enjoyed the games, enjoyed the experiences. Um, and hopefully we can see some of you again, whether it's out here or at the Emirates or in the Tollington or in a bar somewhere having a beer. Um, I don't know, but uh, I look forward to doing that. For now, we'll leave it there. Um, I'm also going to go jump in the sea, by the way. The Pacific Ocean is about 200 yards to my left right now, and I think I could use uh, some freshening up. The ocean does that very well. Yep, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's fresh. It is, sure. it is. <laughs> right, we'll leave it there for now, folks. Thanks a million, and we will catch you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.